The Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu. I recommend it to you and the person next to you. It's got depth and it's really fun. And I mean depth as in meaning not a bad submarine pun. So take a dive into the episode, learn what we've done to the oceans. And if you're like me, it will stir up some emotions. You can take those feelings and convert them into actions. Donate and vote and let's stop all the madness. But for now, just enjoy this podcast. Bye-bye. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh. This is the show where we break down the science of a movie with a comedian and a scientist. And today we are talking about The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou from 2004, a wonderful movie that I have happened to see a bunch of times and really enjoy. But how do our guests feel about it? That's what we're all burning to know. Well, our first guest is a staff writer at Thrillist and host of Thrillist's best podcast, Will Fulton. Hello, how are you today? I'm doing great, and I just want to clear up what everybody's probably thinking, which is, are you the host of the best podcast that Thrillist has to offer, or is that the name of the podcast? Well, uh, a little bit of both. It's our only podcast, and it's the name of the podcast, so there's not that much competition, but you know... I'll stack it up against anything out there, Ethan, I have to say. <laughs> okay, we're going head to head today. <laughs> yeah, it's a rumble. <laughs> it's an audio podcast rumble, the most exciting, <laughs> dangerous type of rumble there is. Exactly. So I want to get your thoughts on the movie, but first I must introduce our other guest who I'm super excited to have. She is an oceanographer and currently doing a postdoctorate on plastic and microfiber degradation at Scripps Institute of Oceanography, Dr. Sarah Jean Royer. Hello, everyone. Hello, Dr. Royer. Can I call you Sarah Jean? Yeah, of course you can. That's a great name. First off, thanks for being here and talking to Will and I. I watched a little bit of a TEDx talk you did, which was fantastic and also... Mm, I guess frightening. I guess ocean pollution stuff just frightens me in general because it always seems like we're in such a terrible spot and it's totally our fault. Um, the name of the talk was Plastic Wastes Contribute to the Greenhouse Effect. So can you, you know, kind of just tell us what, what that was about, how that came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was actually working and doing a postdoctorate at the University of Hawaii at the Center for Microbiology Research and Education. And during our experiments in the lab, we were actually measuring methane from seawater, so more like biogenic methane. And uh, we made this unexpected discovery that plastic is emitting also methane. And the reason is because we were incubating seawater in plastic bottles. And this plastic will emit more methane than the water itself. So we could not believe it. We were like, this is about 90% more methane that is being produced by the plastic bottles we are using than the actual seawater. So um, I decided to go to a bunch of experiments and it became my primary topic for my postdoctorate. And to make it very quick, the a summary of the result, it's basically the seven most commonly used type of plastic. They are all emitting greenhouse gases. So you can think of a PET plastic bottles uh, to the case of your iPhone, which is polyethylene. So all of these plastics, at least the seven most commonly used, are emitting methane, ethylene, propylene, ethane, 
CO2 as well, as they are exposed to UV light. So whatever is outside will be emitting greenhouse gases. And um, the sad thing about this is, for example, we take uh, plastic bottles, we put these plastic bottles under the sunlight, and then it starts emitting all of these greenhouse gases. And then as time goes, the plastic will start degrading into smaller and smaller pieces. And for this exact same bottle that used to be like maybe let's say one gram of methane being produced, then it starts degrading and then the surface area of this plastic increases. And we can find, for example, 500 grams of methane produced from the exact same plastic bottle with the same weight, which means that as plastic degrades in the environment, we are just getting more and more gases produced with the same amount of plastic, which was very like discouraging because we all know that there's a tremendous high amount of plastic exposed to environmental conditions in, in nature. And all of this plastic is just producing more and more of this gas with time. And the last important discovery that we made during this research. So as an oceanographer, of course, I've started studying this phenomena with plastic submerged in water, in milky and seawater. Uh, but then we decided to conduct similar experiments, but in air. And what we discovered was mind-blowing because we saw that there's about three times more methane produced when plastic is exposed to air than submerged in water, which means that we no longer think in terms of plastic pollution only in the ocean, but we're also talking about any type of plastic exposed to air from kids' gains in your backyard to your car that is mostly made of plastic to greenhouses to landfills. So all of this plastic is basically emitting these bad greenhouse gases at all times. So it links plastic in the environment to climate change and and not a very good news as you mentioned okay well this was so fun <laughs> thank you that's all the time that we have unfortunately will um but but this was just awesome Do you have any good news at all i mean any good news. <laughs> i guess this should encourage people to consume less plastic so i think yeah just bringing awareness and educate people and Maybe you don't need this single-use plastic anymore. You can just buy this nice bag made out of cloth that you can rewash. So, I mean, this is good news. I think it's it's also nicer to use like a nice like metallic or glass bottles rather than a PET plastic bottle. Yeah, absolutely. I've been using paper straws for at least three months. Are you saying that that hasn't had a dent at all? It's pretty good. I mean, if everyone makes this difference in their life, I mean, it's going to make hopefully a significant difference worldwide. But yeah, it's not only the straws, but the straws are a good iconic like, item to discuss with people. I was just going to say, you might have to redo the research now, considering the work that Will has done uh, yeah. with the straws. <laughs> Back to the drawing board. <laughs> I, can try <laughs> I have a fancy like stainless steel straw so i mean i like the paper straw but i feel like after five minutes they're all smooshy and, and they don't keep their shape very well but yeah, yeah I, I i do have a couple of stainless steel one at home they are pretty awesome well you know somebody was killed by their plastic straw last year they tripped and fell i think they were drinking some lemonade the metal straw went right through their eye socket into their brain no. Oh. Yes. Okay. Oh, well, bad. then we need a new solution. Well, I guess it could happen with a fork as well. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if it would have been a fork. More bad news. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're absolutely right. Um, we have to consume things like buy IV in a very safe environment, like locked off. <laughs>
COVID. I was just going to mention some more bad news from, I mean, I have a lot of questions about you were saying, first of all, the, the plastic in the air thing is really freaking me out. I'm not sure how I can grasp that, but it seems like I, I was stunned that we're using more and more plastic because you had at one point like a, a, a graph predicting our plastic use going into the future. And by the way, I promise we're going to talk about this movie. It's a fantastic movie that I love, but <laughs> I, I had to address this. I don't know. I just felt like, and maybe it's because I'm in a bit of a liberal bubble over here, but I thought there was like a movement to get plastic off the shelves. And it seems like we're just going to be using more and more plastic in the coming decades. Yes, actually, I think it's going to double in the next, 10 years, the amount of plastic that we consume, it just, we are more and more people and the consumption is just like horrible and we consume more and more and we use items for less and less time. So it can only be increasing the total amount of plastic produced and consumed, unfortunately. So we really need to go back to our roots and be like, do I really need this? Do I really need to buy a piece of float made out of polyester plastic? every week or yeah. I could probably leave with a lot less clothes that I have in my wardrobe. So I think, yeah, I think it's a huge issue and we are just more and more people on the planet. So it's a, it's a tough one, but I keep hope. Do you find in your research that humans are monsters? Would you categorize our species as, um, as terrible creatures, demons? Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess I could use this term. I mean, we are pretty much destroying our planet right now. So um, Okay, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the coolest thing to say but yeah we'll get into why we're super super terrible beings but first how about this movie huh <laughs> wes anderson it's so fun will you were saying that you weren't the biggest fan of this well i mean i thought when we talked about that that was off the record so i kind of i didn't know you were going to bring that up here when we're recording so sorry no it's we okay. can take it out we can take it out <laughs> please do no i mean you know i am a big wes anderson fan i think that uh this film, it's not his tightest movie. Um, it, it's it's kind of chaotic. It has, like most Wes Anderson movies, a lot of whimsy. But, you know, I think in some ways, it is one of his most mature movies. And I know that might seem weird considering how slapdash it seems at times. But I know that Noah Baumbach co-wrote it. And I feel like mm. there's a lot more than what you would seem on the surface. Um, you know, there's a whole Wes Anderson aesthetic and that total vibe but like yeah i do think it's one of his more pessimistic movies and i think it's it's one you know uh roger ebert had a quote i read his review before we got on here and i think it's really funny he says i can't recommend it but i would not for one second discourage you from seeing it and i kind of feel the same way it's an experience but it's certainly hmm. not for everyone okay interesting sarah what did you think of this movie had you seen it before Oh, yeah, I've seen it before. I mean, as an oceanographer, I had to watch it. So, yeah, I did watch it a couple of times. And I have to admit, more I watch it, more I love it. And All right. I, I guess I just like the humor in it. Uh, I like a lot Bill Murray uh, in the film, uh, William Dafoe. I mean, they are pretty good actors. Yeah, I guess it's just different than most of the films you would watch. So I, I like the eccentricity about it. Yeah, that's probably the, the top thing that I dig about it as well, which I could say about any of his films, Wes Anderson. But but yeah, this one in particular, I don't know, just tickled me probably because of just Bill Murray and Willem Dafoe and uh, their performances were so fantastic. Um, but I really just loved all the kind of cute ocean stuff, the fish and the, mm. I don't even know like what to call that claymation style, like random animation. It was like both really silly and fun and then yeah like deep and dark as well and i think yeah to accomplish that is is quite the achievement 
Now, do you think that this is perhaps the most likable ensemble cast ever? I mean, you have Bill Murray, yeah. Jeff Goldblum, Angelica Houston, Willem Dafoe, Kate Blanchett. I mean, these are all people that we make memes about oh, for being eternally likable. Yes, totally. I mean, yeah. all you need is like Mr. Rogers and Keanu Reeves and you have everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. If Tom Hanks was in this movie, it would have been too much. It would have just been <laughs> everyone. Was, if their faces would hurt from smiling. Right. Shut down Hollywood. What does it even matter anymore? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so one of the main things I wanted to ask you, Sarah, was that the animals they created in this movie, I was just curious if any of them struck you as realistic. Like if there was one where you're like, oh, I could see where they based this animal off. And I wrote them down in case you want me to, to list them. Yeah, yeah, I thought they were all pretty interesting. I mean, they made me laugh so much, especially during the reception when you see this little boy giving to Bill Murray the crayon pony fish. So mm. they discuss quite a bit about the dolphins. They make it, they right. make them look like they would be smart creature, but in another context. So I, I appreciated the, the dolphins in, in the film, to be honest. <laughs> Sarah, you brought up a point that I really wanted to ask you. You know, Jeff Goldblum's character has turtles, sea turtles being his kind of like guard dogs. And Bill Murray's character had dolphins. Are dolphins smarter than turtles? You know, where would you rank those two? Oh, yeah. I do think that dolphins are smarter than turtles. I mean... I think that there are many more studies on the intelligence of the dolphins. And I think some of the studies that we come across, they are specifically looking at how bright they are and how they are capable of complex problem solving and also social interaction. So I think dolphins are another level compared to turtles. Awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. There was a part where they also insulted the dolphins because they were trying to like send them signals and say, because they had like cameras on them to go spy and they couldn't get the dolphin to do what they wanted. So I don't know. I doubt anything like that actually exists. But how can you categorize these smart dolphins? Like what makes them so smart? What are they able to do? Do they work in teams? And is there an albino dolphin? Because I believe... That's what they were in this movie. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't think there are many albino dolphins, but I do think that they exist. And most species will have albino. And I think uh, one, one albino dolphin has been seen actually in California a couple of years back. Mm. So I think this is something that exists, but it's not like a species in itself. Maybe they set the expectations of the dolphin being so smart in that movie. Then, I mean, it was too, uh, maybe too complex for them, but they do have quite a, a complex brain, I would say, the dolphin. So I think there's a shout out for this also in the movie, but at some point, yeah, they just go reverse and then <laughs> they are getting mad at the dolphin. So yeah, that, that, that was an interesting, uh, an interesting part of the movie. And one of the animals was a fluorescent snapper. Um, and we talked on a recent episode about the bioluminescent waves that are mm. happening here in, in Southern California. Um, so I don't know, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I still haven't gone and seen them, but I should. But are there fluorescent sea creatures? I think uh, maybe down towards the bottom, I know there are some fish that kind of light up, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the deep sea fish, they do, they do have uh, some skills at bio uh, fluorescing bioluminescence and yeah the the tide that we had uh, in uh, on the west coast in california uh, it's actually a uh, dinoflagellate so it's an algae that will fluoresce uh, in in blue uh, basically when when it's dark but i think they do it all day we just see them 
during nighttime. So there are several creatures actually, uh, yeah, using bioluminescence for for different reasons, either for like deterring the prey or other reasons. But yeah, it, it does exist. I don't think the fluorescent snapper exists, but I guess yeah, with the jaguar shark, <laughs> jaguar shark would eat these. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a super quick break, and we'll be right back. Do the electric jellyfish exist, Sarah, that were on the beach in the movie? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to ask about because they get corrected by uh, Kate Blanchett's character. She comes and says they're Viet Cong man-of-wars. And so I was going <laughs> to ask if that was a real animal. And then also, is there anything, they call it a rubber tide, and they say that it's the reflection of the moonlight on their membranes. Did that make you laugh or did you, you know, look at that and uh, and think, oh, there that that is... That does happen with this animal. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it exists. But the Viet Cong man of wars, I guess they wanted to refer to the Portuguese man of war, uh, predatory species that will basically use its feeding tentacles to sting and paralyze small fishes and other invertebrates. And we have a lot of these in, in Hawaii, actually, and it's quite dangerous. So, yeah, I guess Kate. Kate Blanchett probably was referring to these as well, the Portuguese men's of war. But yeah, it was, it was funny to see that. <laughs> and you've done a lot of work in Hawaii, is that correct? Yeah, I did. I did work in Hawaii for a good four years. And um, I guess there it was mostly on plastic degradation and uh, plastic in the environment in general and how the UV will affect plastic uh, in on the beach or in the water. And does it suck to live there? Or is <laughs> no. you know, an ugly place? <laughs> That's terrible. I never want to go back there. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. I miss Hawaii so much. It's such a, a special place to be. I would go back there anytime. Uh, yeah, might have to wait. Although I did recently see that planes are full again. Maybe because there's less flights, I guess. I, I haven't really investigated because I'm not interested in flying anywhere right now. But it seems like people are flying. Huh. Yes, they are packing people on airplanes. Less planes, you know, a lot of them want to get the full capacity. So they're just, uh, they say, a lot of airlines are saying they're keeping the middle seat, um, you know, off limits. But then they're also giving those to standby passengers. So you don't really know until you get to the airport if your flight's going to be full or not, which is super scary. Wow, scum, mm. scumbags. Um, that I don't mind saying. <laughs> I will insult people shoving uh, too many people onto airplanes right now, scumbags. Through a metal tube, yeah not great yeah i'm already uncomfortable when things were normal on a plane so now it's like i would need the plane to be empty to feel like i'm okay on this flight well totally empty would be kind of creepy don't you think like a ghost plane no <laughs> no you Will, prefer I that. love that and uh yeah i think i would right now that i would prefer ghost plane <laughs> ghost plane that's hey that's a that's an idea in itself well, we can write that movie <laughs> sarah i wanted to ask you about like man of wars because i have heard uh, rumors, you know, across the internet, maybe my own personal life, that these, they live forever. Is that true? Or mm. parts of them live forever? Have you heard that? Oh, I'm not sure about that. But uh, I, I haven't heard about that. But I can probably check. <laughs> yeah, let us know about that. That's interesting. Somebody gets, I think Bill Murray gets hydrogen psychosis when his buddy dies at the beginning, and they call it crazy eye. Is that <laughs> something you've heard of? Do people get <laughs> Hydrogen psychosis slash crazy eye. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> what do you think, Will? Well, he does smoke a lot of doobies in the film, so maybe they're related in some some capacity. <laughs> Ooh, 
Yeah, that's true. Think about that. That's a fan theory. That's a deep cut. <laughs> that makes sense. I had um, also there was a uh, a line about unprotected waters they get into. So, are there unprotected waters? Do or do we have waters that are dangerous to get into? And have you been there? Ooh, I think there are international waters about 200 miles from the coast where you can pretty much do whatever you want. So it's not national anymore. And it's very unregulated, if I can say it this way. Um, I've been on water a lot. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, unprotected. I don't think this is a term, but... Uh, yeah, there's probably some places in, in, in the ocean where you don't want to be at certain moments. Okay, so you can do anything in international waters? You can just do whatever you want? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, the ocean is so huge that it's very hard to regulate. So depending on which type of boat you're on, um, yeah, international waters, not many people can catch you doing something. So... Uh, but about regulations, what you're allowed and what you're not, mm, that's an interesting question. I think that was part <laughs> of the Scientology origin. Forget his name now, which is killing me that I can't remember. That he like went out on a boat and, because it was international. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, uh, it was harder to catch him or it was harder to, I don't know, uh, pursue him tax-wise or something because he was always on international waters. That's how they got me. I mean, that was their sales pitch. Like, we'll go out to international <laughs> waters, you'll see a monkey knife fight, and, you know, maybe we'll talk religion a little bit. Yeah. Well, what other reasons should people uh, join Scientology? Uh, well, you know, the networking is excellent. I don't know if you've heard about this. Um, the alternative no, is, is awful. Oh, yeah. All the celebrities are into Scientology. Don't you live in yeah, California? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is in there. I love Tom Cruise. All the movers and shakers are into Scientology. And, you mm. know, they're very true to okay. themselves. Yeah. Don't you want to be your best self? That would be my question to you. Oh, absolutely, I do. Where do I sign up? I have some pamphlets that I can mail you, actually. That <laughs> seems seems uh, ancient to do that, but yeah, please. <laughs> An antiquated form of signing me up. That's how um, we work, you know? Time for another lightning fast break, and then we will be back with more. Okay, so Jeff Goldblum, towards the beginning of this movie, says, which is such a funny, like, throwaway line before Bill Murray walks over. He's talking to Bill Murray's wife or ex-wife, and he says, I just became a knight in Portugal, which I loved. And there have been a bunch of uh, celebrities. I was curious who has been knighted. And so I have this list, and I thought maybe you guys could just take guesses, just try to fire off one by one uh, guesses uh, on who has been knighted. Uh, maybe you know a few. And I'll let you know if you're right. No, wait a minute. Are you talking about knighted in Portugal or knighted uh, in any country? Knighted in any country. I think most of these are in England, but some have uh, been in France. Okay, do dames count? Yes, mm. of course. All right, Dame Judy Dench. That's correct. Uh, Princess Lila. <laughs> I don't know. Is she? I don't have that one. That's a gray area. Uh, if not, she should be. Sir Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen, yes. Sir Sting. I'm sorry, I took your turn, Sarah. Oh, no, take mine, please. I, I don't know the answers. <laughs> uh, Sting, he was knighted. Wait, no. We mean previously? Like he was knighted and they stripped him of his knighthood? Mm, I got to be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a question mark on Sting. Not sure. <laughs> After Desert Rose came out, they took it away. They were like, they gave it to him. Yeah. The rock yeah, they said They said using this in Alexis commercial is worthy of us taking back this knighthood <laughs> no that's very harsh uh, i know sir paul mccartney is a thing sir elton yes. john oh um, yeah mm, yep. you might sorry you might know about plastics and you know biodegradables but i am crushing you in this knighting <laughs> game i have to say 
<laughs> oh no, you're better than me. Go ahead. I was just about to see John Lennon, and then you stole it from me. <laughs> you want to squeeze any other ones in before I uh, release the the dogs? I would say is Ringo knighted because it, you know if 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 Sir Paul McCartney is knighted, uh, I feel like Ringo should squeeze in there. Yeah, I think Ringo did get knighted. I think it was several years afterwards, but I believe he was knighted. Thank God, justice for Ringo. You know. Justice for Ringo. Hashtag Justice for Ringo. It's gonna be uh. catch on fire. Rod <laughs> Stewart. <laughs> Sir Rod Stewart does have a good ring to it. Rod Stewart was knighted. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank God. Nice. Well done. Very sexy. Um, Very good looking also, man. Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Twiggy. Emma Thompson. Mm. Angelina Jolie. Steven Spielberg. Helen Mirren. Julie Andrews. Mick Jagger, Daniel Day-Lewis, Michael Caine, uh, who I got to end on because Michael Caine was knighted under his real name. Do you guys know what Michael Caine's real name is? Is it Bert? It's not. It might as well be. <laughs> what is it? It's Maurice, Maurice. Micklewhite. No. Sarah, did you know that? I'm Googling it now. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Just outwardly cheating. I love it. Okay, I know we're running short on time, but I, I do just have to quickly mention that even if you're not going to be convinced to watch this movie if you've never seen it before it's at least worth listening to the soundtrack there's uh, acoustic brazilian or uh, portuguese versions of uh, david bowie songs in this movie by sweet george which is just fantastic absolutely unbelievable even whether or not you even like david bowie you really need to listen to these songs i'm so glad you brought this up ethan because i do think that it has one of the best soundtracks um certainly of any wes anderson films which already have great yeah. soundtracks but maybe any film ever I, I was thinking about that when i rewatched it um that's those sue george acoustic buoy covers um in portuguese it, very nice afternoon summertime listening yeah oh my god I, it's unbelievable another film i loved it was natural born killer and the soundtrack was just mind-blowing i loved it so much with oliver stone yikes oh okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> tells us a lot about sarah uh -huh. yeah she's yeah. nuts she, she's not so. <laughs> Sarah, I have a question. I have a shark question that I've I've been wondering for a little bit, and I feel like you might be able to answer. I've been to aquariums all around the world. I'm an aquarium enthusiast, but I've never seen a great white shark in an aquarium, and I, I I'm wondering why. Is it are they too big? Do you have to feed them too much? It's actually a very good question. It's like you don't see like a humpback whale either. So. Maybe I would go with the size, probably. It's just size? Well, they have elephants are in zoos, and, and elephants are really big. I know, that's true. But it feels like if you have to keep an animal confined in an aquarium, you need huge aquarium to, to be able to keep that animal rather than like just having grass for an elephant. But yeah, I'm a little bit against zoos, so now it's tough for me to answer. But I don't think we should keep them in an aquarium any which way. Well, that's a shame because I think I'm going to open up a great white shark aquarium. And if, Will, you want to come in on this, I feel like it's a great idea. we got the market cornered. I all, I agree. And you know where we can hold it? International waters. If it's against the law, it doesn't matter. Freaking great idea. It's part of like a cruise package. Exactly. Exactly. That's so wise. Okay. Then I wanted to ask about uh, Jacques Cousteau. It was mentioned here. And in a very funny, demeaning way, he says, quote, Cousteau and his cronies invented the walkie-talkies in the helmet. But I know that he did invent or co-invent the aqua lung. So do you, can you comment on that? Do you know if he invented walkie-talkies in the helmet? Yeah, I don't know. Will. <laughs> Will. Oh, I don't know. 
Hey, come on. Come on, the I love I love throwing it to Will. That's great. I don't know. Will. Uh, you know what I will say? Yes. Uh, he invented the walkie dogs in the helmet. He also invented uh, Vaseline, too. Jacques Cousteau. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Thomas Edison of the Sea is what they called him. Yeah. Did not know that. Very interesting. Always wore the same clothes. Usually a wetsuit. Um, horrible person. Like, like Edison. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know about the red hat. The red hat, I do know. And we all have a red hat similar to Jacques Cousteau at home. Is that functional? The red beanie? Is, is there something Ooh. about seafaring that calls her? What is Ooh. it? <laughs> it looks pretty cool. <laughs> Even my baby has one now. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so yeah, less functional, more uh, branding oriented, I think. <laughs> well, speaking of functional, and this is a question for the group in the movie, Angelica Houston's character talks about how Steve Zuzu shoots blanks and meaning he, he his, his sperm isn't potent, I guess. And, and she says it's because he spent half of his life underwater. Is that something that could really happen? Just by spending your life underwater? I know you're not a medical doctor, Sarah, but what do you think? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it's good for sanity. It feels like being confined, but uh, <laughs> that's probably the way best. Yeah. How, how long have you spent out at sea? Mm, during my PhD, I was doing my PhD in Barcelona, and I spent probably altogether three years at sea. Oh, wow. Okay, that's a long time at sea. Yeah, we did a circumnavigation cruise, so we went all over the world for almost eight months. Whoa. And uh, we stopped in Hawaii, and that's how I got my postdoctorate. And then I moved straight to Hawaii after my PhD. But uh, it was a long time on a boat, and with like 100, 100 people, 100 meter boat long. So, uh, but I, I loved all of the cruises that I conducted. We went in the Arctic, hmm. in Antarctic. And, oh my God! Yeah, I guess I spent a lot, a lot of time in international waters. <laughs> you know what that means? <laughs> yeah, that chaos happened there. Unrestricted murder. I'm, I'm sure you don't regret it. I'm sure you had a great time. But is it also something that you would, you know, uh, jump at the opportunity to repeat an, an eight month cruise around the world, eight month uh, expedition? I guess I should say. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of done with these cruises, but to them because we stopped in 10 different countries and we would stay two weeks everywhere and then get supply and then go for another four weeks so we did stuff but uh, yeah i guess now I'm, I'm happy in san diego in hawaii i love surfing every day so i don't know how i would do it eight months at sea. i would miss the ground and how waves. long would how long will it take me to become a decent surfer and i'm talking about coming from zero uh, a decent surf. I think you could probably catch a wave in six weeks if you surf every day from today on. Oh my like, God. Six weeks wave. of going every day? Yeah. Maybe every second day. Let's be yeah, not too harsh. Yeah. Maybe every second day. It's, it's a tough sport. I mean, um, yeah, you need to be like, you really want, if you really want to learn, you're going to learn. So that's the beauty of it. But if you're like, oh ah, I'm not so much into it, then you might just, yeah, <laughs> you might just not try anymore. And that's that's probably one of the reasons why, I mean, when you look at a wave, you do see many surfers, but overall there are not that many people surfing, like biking or running. So it's kind of the beauty of the sport. I'm, I'm also a huge wuss. So what what's the injury uh, percentage like here? I mean, do people people get injured often or, or am I going to be okay? Oh, you'll be fine. I mean, if I compare it to a sport on land, that would be skateboarding. So you have many more chances of 
potting and breaking something, skateboarding, than just potting in the water. I guess the main danger are the other people and they're bored. Mm. So, but if you're alone uh, on your own surf break, then you'll be fine. And how important is it that I'm ripped? Can I be out of shape and surf? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's everyone who surfs more... looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe you'll have more difficulty to pop on your board, but yeah, you see all types of peoples and shapes. So I'm sure if you're willing to learn, you will no matter what. Okay, Will, what do you say? Should we meet up at the ocean and see if we can do this? I think <laughs> we introduce fat guy surfing into the lexicon and that's a thing you know okay why keep it for the why keep it for the ripped folks maybe the ripped folks are just the surfers we see in popular culture but maybe there's a whole bunch of very unathletic surfers out there just skimming the surface yeah i mean why not us yeah exactly okay, well i was just gonna say thank you i know um we're, we're running out of time here but i really appreciate uh, both of you hopping on talking to me about this exceptional movie which uh, unlike uh Cisco, I think you quoted before, I do recommend it. And I hope that people watch it. Uh, I've always had a great time seeing this. And, uh, and Will, they should be listening to your podcast. It's coming out uh, every week. Thrills best. Every Thursday. Yep. Fantastic. So today, there's one out today. Well, we're recording this on a Thursday for people that don't realize it. <laughs> are we? Oh, yeah, we are. We are. We are. You're right. What is time anymore? Days though? don't matter anymore. Yeah. yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> Life is a blur. Um, where else can uh, people find you? They can find me on Thrillist. Uh, go to Thrillist YouTube page. I also work on our video team. We have a ton of great videos. If you like food and travel and want to live vicariously through other people right now, which I think we all do, um, search Thrillist on YouTube. You'll find lots of fun videos. Fantastic. I hope that they do. I implore them to do so. And Sarah, very quickly before we leave here, how do we save the world from plastic <laughs> pollution and uh, uh, degradation and methane? Okay, then you just stop consuming at least single-use plastic. That will be a big help for the planet. So just zero plastic. Is there a certain company that we can protest or riot in front of their doors? Yeah, all of the companies that are basically selling single-use plastic items. I'm saying single-use plastic because do you really need to have a plastic bottle that you will throw after an average 12 minutes of time you, you use it or a plastic straw? Probably not. So... I'm suggesting to everyone that is listening, ask yourself if you really need that plastic item. And if you don't, just replace it by something you can reuse. Yeah, that's great advice. And uh, and I hope to have you back to further discuss things that we can do to clean up the ocean. I know you have a large passion for it. But until then, thank you both for joining me. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. See you in international waters. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producer is Emily Feld. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger. And the executive Ping Island Deucer is Brett Kushner. Follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Show. That's at Bad Science Show. Or feel free to send us an email, badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. Let us know what you think about the show, any movies we should do in the future. I always appreciate getting your emails. And, of course, leave us an iTunes review. That lets other people hear about the show. And I'll see you all next week. Bye.